When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Study Break. My name is Melody, and today I am here with Jocelyn. Hi guys, my name is Jocelyn, and I'm from a smaller city within the greater region of LA. Today we're going to be talking more about the college application system, specifically more about rejections. So as admission letters are coming out, it is a nerve-wracking time especially for everyone applying regular decision application letters will probably come out like around March early April um, and seniors around the nation are freaking out (laughs) this is the moment (laughs) we've all been waiting for and Jocelyn actually has experienced some college rejections from applying through early decision specifically through a program called QuestBridge which if you have listened to my previous episodes, you know that I also applied through that program. Um, So today, Jocelyn, can you talk a little bit more about that moment when you found out you were rejected from some of your dream colleges? So rejection for me was kind of a double-edged sword in the sense that I was also, you know, disappointed, obviously, but then I was also relieved in a sense because my college application process was very unconventional and I didn't have, you know, a long time frame to kind of research in depth on particular colleges. And the way QuestBridge works is that you essentially list a handful of colleges and let's say you get matched, which basically means you get into the college and you get a full ride. What ends up happening is you're kind of obligated to go because it's, you know, early decision. And on my list, there were about five to four schools, you know, that I didn't really necessarily want to go, but I ended up putting on the list anyways. And so getting rejected was kind of a blessing in disguise, because while I felt obviously disappointed that I wouldn't be getting the monetary aspect of, you know, getting matched, um, I wouldn't have to go to a school that I wasn't, you know, necessarily excited to go to. And so in many ways, it was a double-edged sword. (laughs) Yeah, and so just to provide a little bit of context, uh, when she says matching to a school, it's basically getting a full-ride scholarship to some of the top elite colleges in America, and so can you share a little bit more about what schools you apply to, and maybe which ones were your dream colleges, and which ones you didn't really care for, but applied anyways? So my, my college, I guess, plan was very straightforward. My dream school has and is still currently Yale, and that's the school that I really wanted to go to. So when I found that Yale was on the Crossbridge website, it was really easy for me to just put that on the top of my list. And then it kind of just came naturally for me to put the other Ivy Leagues because as much as I hate to admit it, prestige is a very important role in fostering connections. And also a lot of the Ivy League institutions have 
better funding and economic packages compared to other top 20 schools. So I knew that, you know, the Ivy Leagues were synonymous with that. And, you know, I could just put them on the top of my list. But then there were some other schools that I added on there that I wasn't entirely sure if I wanted to go. But I ended up putting them on my list anyways, because like I mentioned, I didn't have that much time applying um, to colleges. So I had like a week because I found out about QuestBridge a week before its deadline. And so what ended up happening was I put, I think, four to five schools that I thought were pretty similar in, you know, in regards to size and the programs that they had to offer. And the school that I added for my fourth part of the list was Tufts. And it's a school in Boston and it's a really good research institution. And so I kind of put the other five, you know, the, under my list um, based on what I was looking for through Tufts. And so I figured, so schools like USC, for example, and Williams were also near the bottom of my list, but they were very much similar to Tufts in the sense that they were smallish schools. Well, USC is a different story, but <laughs> it is um, in comparison to some of the larger Ivy Leagues, it is still pretty small. And they had a lot of research programs to offer. And so I kind of figured like, you know, I can kind of all consider them one school, like they're all just mirror reflections of each other. So it was easy for me to just put them on there. And then um, I guess I should mention that my criteria when, you know, selecting what schools I wanted to add onto my list, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't very rigid. So I just put whatever schools I felt like, oh, I think I could see myself there. But like I mentioned, I didn't do heavy research or, you know, anything special to kind of really cement my love for these schools. Yeah. And so I think even without, I guess, that emotional connection with some of the schools that you applied to, um, just the idea of not only prestige, but also the thought of getting into a college, an elite college that has a full ride scholarship opportunity for you, it is really nerve wracking because once again, you, even though you don't like feel that emotionally connected to the school, you just want that opportunity. And especially for low income students, it's like, I want that opportunity even more than other people, just because, you know, it would relieve so much of the stress you have in the future. Now let's talk a little bit more about that moment when you saw the rejection letter. Um, So match day, aka the day that we get our notification on whether we get (laughs) matched or not, was on December 1st of 2021. And so Tell us a little bit more about the scene. So (laughs) this is going to be quite a long story, but I remember it quite vividly because it was simultaneously kind of like the worst slash best day of my life. And I'll kind of get into that best aspect in a moment. But I was in French, which is, you know, a class in the R building, which is a building in our school that doesn't have, you know, really good Wi-Fi. And I received this email and it said like 20 minutes ago. And I was like, huh, like, what is this? And it said that like an update has been made to my portal through Questbridge. And I was like, oh my God, like it is that time. It is that day. And my initial plan was to kind of hold off on opening it until I got home. And, you know, I could open it within the confines of my bedroom. So if tears needed to be shed, no one would see me ugly cry. But I ended up opening it with two of my other friends and in front of a teacher during lunch. So how we got to that, I still have no clue. It was kind of a blur because I guess it was just a mix of anxiety slash wanting to know. And so I ended up in a classroom and then I opened it through the website. 
And the way I knew, I didn't even read the letter. I just knew when I clicked on that little blue link was that when you get accepted or, you know, you get congratulated for anything, there's usually like confetti or like big blocked font. And I saw size 10 font. I sort of was like size 10 or size nine. It was just really tiny font. And I knew like, okay, I didn't get in because I didn't see confetti. I didn't see like big block letters saying congrats or like, I didn't really see anything. And I remember just kind of like standing there and like reassuring. I'm not sure if I was reassuring myself or my friends, but I was like, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. Like, just very awkward because my teacher was looking at me and he was like, are you okay? Like, you know, like in that, that tone where like, it kind of makes you want to cry, but not really. And I didn't break down shockingly. I actually didn't. And I told him, yeah, I'm okay. And I genuinely meant it. And Looking back in hindsight, I think the reason why I meant it at the time was because, like I mentioned, I felt a combination of relief slash disappointment when I saw my results. And I'm not sure if my story is applicable to other people, because for many other QuestBridge applicants, the schools they put on their list were the schools they really wanted to go to. For me, it was kind of like a mix, like it was schools that I wanted to go to slash schools that I thought I wanted to go to. So I wasn't really like if anything, I was a little bit, you know, relieved in the sense that I wouldn't have to commit to a school that I didn't want to go to. But I was also really upset because QuestBridge does a wonderful job of eliminating two barriers, in my opinion, for the college process, which are economic barriers and psychological barriers. I kind of encourage low income students into believing into themselves and, you know, low income students are given the ability to have access to a full ride scholarship. And I think QuestBridge does a really good job of kind of fostering that confidence among students. So getting rejected was almost like a slap in the face because I started questioning myself in my biology class, which was right after lunch. I was just like reading the email and rereading it. And I started questioning myself thinking like, how did I become a finalist, which was the preliminary stage that you needed to kind of qualify for to participate in the match. And I remember thinking like, how did they choose me? Like, why did I, you know, not get in? And it was almost easy to say that you know, I actually blamed my rejection onto my financial aspect because like I mentioned, QuestBridge is simultaneously a merit slash need-based program in my opinion. And I started thinking, oh, maybe my parents made too much or maybe, you know, other people needed it. And that's not the case at all. You know, looking back now, I understand like I wasn't matched because my essays probably didn't meet like certain criteria or they just didn't wow the admissions committee, which is perfectly fine. But at the time, I just wanted to look for something to blame. And then I went home still and then like with the email in my hand and I just kept on rereading it because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I had no plan like if I didn't get matched because that period of, you know, applying to colleges from, you know, late September to like December, um, I wasn't really like I didn't really have a clear goal in mind because I wasn't expecting to get matched, but I also wasn't expecting to not get matched, which I don't know how that makes sense, but in my brain, it made sense somehow. So I didn't have a backup plan, but I also wasn't like worried. If anything, getting rejected kind of provided a little bit of clarity for me because it enabled me to apply to so much more colleges. And it also gave me the time to kind of refine certain supplements for colleges that I didn't apply to through QuestBridge. And so it was, it was a blessing in disguise for, you know, long story short. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly admire how like you took such a, I guess, traditionally really 
depressing moment into a time that gave you moments to reflect on, I guess, the choices that you've made before and also the upcoming choices you have to make for colleges. Um, It's really hard to shift that mindset into a more positive view and yet you did it so I'm really proud of you for that (laughs) thank you yeah and also um talking more about like planning ahead for the future so when you I guess didn't necessarily expect to be rejected but there's also like that sort of calmness that came over you um how was it like taking the next steps in applying to more colleges and shifting to regular decision or doing any other early decisions um, applications. And also like in that moment, did you feel really overwhelmed because of, I guess, the extra work that you had to do, especially during winter break? Like it seems like a lot to handle. Right, so um, one thing that I do wanna kind of clarify was that I had a lot of support from people who also didn't get matched during this time period and so what ended up happening was I got put into a group chat with like a gazillion other students who also didn't get matched and I think the collective sense of you know disappointment kind of helped solidify this relationship between students who you know so desperately wanted something but weren't able to attain it so for me I'm very goal driven and I think I can bounce back from rejection very fairly quickly so what I ended up doing was I knew that the, the best part about Questbridge is when you get when you don't get matched, it's not necessarily a rejection because you have the ability to apply through early decision and regular decision. So for many people, it's actually like a second chance. And that's what I love about the program. I was given multiple chances through Questbridge. So I knew without a doubt that I wanted to take advantage of the early decision deadline that they gave us, which is like a temporarily expansion, I guess. It's like I guess it's like, okay, the early decision deadline is November 1st. So I guess it's like a month extension and they give it to Questbridge students. And so I wanted to take advantage of that. So I wanted to do early decision for Yale, but they don't have an early decision, um, I guess, application for Questbridge students. They have an early action program, but you have to apply regularly and not through the Questbridge program. So my first step was figure out what school I wanted to go to through early decision. And that was easy for me because, you know, within that time where we were waiting for our Questbridge decisions, I started to do more research. And Brown University ended up being the school that I did my early decision for. And um, I guess I should just, you know, put this out there. I got deferred. (laughs) So not a rejection, but not quite an acceptance. Your third chance. Right. It was a third chance. And I joke about that all the time with my friends. Like, wow, like the universe really doesn't know what to do with me. <laughs> but you but, know what? Um, third time's the charm. So right. Exactly. And so when I got deferred from Brown, I was like, OK, now what do I do? And just to clarify, we got our quest for decisions on December 1st and I got deferred on December 14th or 15th, I think. So it was like two weeks to really like it just a bunch of hardships just kind of like came at me and so what I ended up doing was I went online and I was like okay what can you do for schools that you know you technically got rejected from but like not really 
And the best way I can describe it is not getting matches like getting deferred because you kind of get your application pushed back to the regular decision round. And a lot of um, websites mentioned write a letter of continued interest, um, submit additional supplemental information, attend meetings, go to interviews. And during this time period, um, I had a lot of colleges reach out for interviews. And so I was kind of preoccupied preparing for those so that like I didn't really have the time to mull over both of my rejections. Or I'm not even sure if you could consider, you know, getting deferred a rejection, but it was, it fell under those lines. So I don't have enough time to kind of think about that because I was constantly preparing for interviews. And I actually think that not getting matched helped me get so much more insight into the schools that I wasn't entirely sure ahead of time. And so I had interviews with schools like Princeton and Columbia, and I was able to learn so much about the school. And it helped me kind of like figure out like, okay, so I'm gonna be really focused on these schools when I'm sending my letter of continued interest and all of these things. So, you know, that was the plan after figuring out what school I wanted to apply early decision to, it was send the letter of continued interest and then just join as many activities as possible that the school offered. And I think it helped because when you're surrounded with other students who haven't gotten their decisions yet, or you know, if they got deferred or something, um, you kind of like begin to like identify with them. And it was a really liberating moment, I suppose, because when you're talking about rejection with other kids who have also gone through it or kids who are, I guess, preparing to go through it, then it almost makes you feel less bad about yourself because you're like, rejection is a very natural part of life. And, you know, it's like, as much as we don't want to experience it, I think it's a very important necessity because it helps you grow as a person. So yeah, I had a three-step plan. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's so true. Like just hearing other people's experiences, number one, the reason why I created this episode. Um, but yeah, hearing other people's experiences really does help you, I guess, um, understand your own emotions a little bit. And it keeps you on track for your future plans, keeps you motivated. Um, and so there's a lot of different types of people when it comes to facing these college rejections. So there's the group of people who are really interested and really love a certain college, but got rejected from them. The other group, which is like the, oh, I don't, I don't really have any feelings about this. And they move on right. kind of people. And then the last group is like the completely like confused. I don't know what to do with my life. Um, this is my last chance of getting into college. Um, and now I don't know, I don't know where I am at in life. And so with these, I guess, three different types of people, um, rejection, as you can see, is a very subjective experience. And I just want to clarify that with Jocelyn's experience, it is very different from the traditional common app or state application that most students use. Um, whoa, my voice just cracked there. <laughs> It is not traditional compared to what other students use. And so when you hear those other students in the support groups, um, and especially those who like got rejected from their dream colleges, how do you feel in that moment? And um, can you share a little bit more about possibly what they've shared with you? Right. So, um, Okay, this is a very hard topic to discuss because like I mentioned, getting rejected did phase me to an extent, 
but I wouldn't say it necessarily altered my life. And I think the best part about my college application process was I didn't really get attached to a school. I mentioned Yale being my dream school, but it was like a dream school, you know, it wasn't like my ideal school or the school that I really wanted to go to. It was just kind of a school that I wanted to go to, but I wasn't like, you know, I didn't create my whole life and I didn't live my whole life destined to just go to that school. So for many of the people within my support group chats, um, I can't say the same for them because for many of them, Questbridge was their one shot at getting into college. And I think I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to say that the monetary aspect of college and the financial aid awarded through Questbridge was kind of a bonus for me. For me, the main part of Questbridge that appealed to me was the ability to apply to several colleges and, you know, compete for, or not necessarily compete, but, you know, compete, quote unquote, for a full ride scholarship. But for many students, Questbridge was like, it was very important for them because it was their one shot at going to a college because for many of my friends, they weren't able to afford it. And so through the group chats every day, I would kind of just see people, you know, be very dejected. And it wasn't just in the group chats, it was in our Facebook, um, I guess like group account sort of thing. I would see posts saying like, oh, you know, I, I can't handle it. I don't know what to do. I'm feeling incredibly dejected. And I see all these people getting in and I just don't know what to do with my life. Like I've worked so hard up to this moment and now I just don't know what I'm doing. And to see that constantly was almost, unbearable because it made me you know it made me feel for these people it made me really upset to see such hard-working students chastise themselves and like beat themselves down just because they didn't get in and I get where they're coming from because I definitely felt that way at first but I also just wanted to let them know like it'll be all right like you know there's definitely other alternatives and now you get to apply to so many more colleges like this isn't the end there are also other scholarships and you know for many students that was a temporary relief for them like oh yeah there are other scholarships but then when they got rejected from those scholarships they would feel even more dejected and it was a constant cycle of rejection so for me personally obviously I didn't get matched and then I didn't I got deferred from Brown and then I applied to three big scholar or two big scholarships or two to three and then I ended up not getting them at, as well and so like I mentioned it's just a cycle of rejection and I think it's so easy for people to fall into that cycle and just think that, you know, their lives don't equate to anything because they're not getting any benefit for all the work that they've done, you know? And so the best way I can describe being in those group chats was almost like this oppressive feeling because you care so much about all of these people. And even if I didn't necessarily like know them, I knew that we were all, you know, dying for the same thing, which was to get into college with the full ride. But to see just people constantly saying like, you know, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't know what I'm doing. It was almost as if there was like a significant weight on my shoulders to kind of like tell them like, no, like, don't worry, like we got this. And I think as the months like went on and by months, I mean like two months, <laughs> um, people started coming to accept the fact that there were other options and rejection would not be the end of their lives. And no matter how bad it felt at the moment, things would always get better. And for many people it did, they got into local community colleges or they got into state schools or they got into other schools. And I think that kind of gave them a glimpse of hope. And so they started thinking, okay, if I can get into these schools, there might still be a chance for me to get into the schools that I didn't you know, match with. And so um, this cycle is really hard to break because it's 
a self-perpetuating cycle in the sense that if you're going to be negative about it, you're only going to see things through a negative lens. And for me, I think that was very easy because I saw everything through a negative lens. But having a really good support system, like I mentioned, other people going through it could really help you because you begin to realize that the world is so much bigger than you. And these problems of getting rejected are just so minuscule in comparison to the greater scheme of life, which is trial and error, right? You know, if you don't get in once, you try again, and then you can hopefully get in that time. And if you don't get in, like I didn't get in the second time, you can try once more and then you never know what will happen. And I think it's important to keep on trying, even if it feels like the world is quite literally about to end, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that was extremely well said. And I think <laughs> um, constantly facing rejection, it's such a demeaning feeling, you know, you feel like your self-worth is completely stripped away. And all of the life decisions you made, all of the hard work that you've done over the past four years in high school seems almost worthless and pointless. And so um, I guess in that moment, I mean, when I was applying to colleges on match day, I was expecting rejection, actually, just because I felt like, I don't know, that Facebook group actually gave me so much imposter syndrome. So I just constantly felt like I wasn't good enough compared to what everyone else was doing. Um, But like preparing myself for rejection, I was just like, you know what, I need to keep my head up and realize that what I'm doing is enough for me and I'm proud of what I'm doing. But I know for some people, you know, they might not have gotten information right away about certain application processes like you. Um, Or maybe they've gone through some life experience that may have taken away some time for them to study or to join extracurriculars. And so with that comes some sort of regret or asking themselves what if questions like what if I just did this? What if I just got an A in this class instead of a B? Um, What if I became the president of a club? Just generally wishing that you did something differently. Um, And I think that's a really hard feeling to overcome just because when you look back and wish that you can change some sort of the past, change history, obviously that's not possible um, unless you have a time machine, then in that case, like, (laughs) cool, (laughs) good for you. And you'll never be content as well. If you're always asking yourself, you know, these what if questions, you're just always going to feel kind of some like self-hatred for yourself because you're always going to be thinking like, oh, I didn't do enough. When I think in reality, a lot of people do too much to get into college. Like they let college consume their life. And for me, that's kind of been the case for the past two to three years. I started letting college kind of be the main priority of my life. And I don't think that's a healthy relationship because you know, the point of school and the point of going to college is to achieve a higher education so you can learn. It's not to flaunt this or flaunt that. And for many people, that's kind of what college has become because getting into college, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's not necessarily about what you do with the college you go to. It's more about the connections you make. And unfortunately, that's just the society we live in. So for many people, I feel like getting rejected was kind of that reminder that they lost that sense of hope, you know, of being able to foster new connections in a new place. So and I'm sorry for the interruption. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was once again, very well said. Like it is so true. Um, and just getting rejected from college, not only do you feel that loss of a new connection or like a new opportunity, but it's also like 
there's this pressure in society to first of all go to some great college like Harvard um and that's like the only way you can be successful or um how community college is bad whatever and how if you don't go to college at all you're just going to be a failure in life and I feel like these preconceived notions about what you should do with higher education is just so frustrating for me when I was ranking my colleges I was like if I don't get a full ride scholarship I'm going to my local community college and when I told that to people (laughs) right and so like when I said that to people they were so surprised they were like but don't you have good grades? Like you're doing a lot of extracurriculars. I was like, but that is not necessarily my priorities, right? And even though it's different from what society expects me to do, I know it is what will be right for me. And so I think in the situation of rejection, sometimes we have such a focused goal that we develop tunnel vision. And so, um, we forget to look at the other possibilities that we have in life. And obviously there are so many different paths that we can all take. Um, And so you don't have to follow one specific route in order to be the happiest version of yourself. When in reality, you can just go with the flow and figure out things along the way, Um, do more research and understand what you like, what you don't like, and also make realistic goals So uh, realistically, what you can afford, what you can pay off if you're taking up student loans and um, discovering different career paths. And so I think um, rejection does provide that extra time for you to kind of reflect Mm -hmm. on your future decisions and figure out what you really want in life. Right. And I actually really appreciate that, I guess, metaphor to tunnel vision, because Like you mentioned, a lot of people stigmatize community college as being bad. And I think that is definitely not the case. There are so many people who go to community college because it's a smart investment financially. We're getting the same education across universities during our first two years of college. And community college has the ability to provide people so many pathways. And I think it's just really unfair for society to kind of critique it as being like, oh, it's because you didn't try hard in high school that you're settling. And that word settling kind of frustrates me because nobody is settling. Like we're going to, we're applying for these competitive colleges and there has to be a certain time where we have to step back and look objectively at the situation and ask ourselves, is it worth it? sacrificing half of your teenage years just dying to go to this institution that offers the same you know curriculum as your local community college and on the topic of same curriculum it's you know pretty similar but these top institutions they cost hundreds and thousands of dollars whereas your local community college is very accessible and affordable and it's a good investment so tunnel vision can be a very dangerous thing and I think rejection also sustains tunnel vision because well, in many ways, it sustains and helps you break out of tunnel vision because in many ways, you're kind of re-evaluating your priorities. And so you might have the ability to kind of look at the greater picture. But if you only look at the negative side of rejection, you're going to work yourself to death just to reach that one goal that you've been so focused on, you know, throughout your whole life. And I think that can be a very dangerous downfall. Yeah. And so earlier you mentioned that in the past two to three years, you did kind of um, take college as like this number one focus. And so I'm not sure if you developed tunnel vision, but can you speak a little bit more about your experience 
with that and also how you kind of overcame um, tunnel vision to have a more positive and open mind? So um, not to spill my whole life story, but you know, around freshman year, college was never quite a priority for me. And I would like for there to be something for me to blame, but honestly, it was just my own fault. Entering high school, it's such a new environment that you have the constant need to fit in. And because of this need, you might just kind of sacrifice, you know, other important things like getting involved or maintaining good grades. And I know those two things aren't necessarily the most important in life, but they are pretty important to making sure you graduate or, you know, getting somewhere in life. And so freshman year, um, my grades were not that bad. I had A's and B's, but, you know, for, for someone who wants to apply to Yale, and I should clarify that I didn't officially want to start going to Yale until like junior year, uh, you know, looking back in hindsight for someone who wants to go to Yale now, those A's and B's freshman year might've not been the best outcome for me now. But during freshman year, I was, I would like to say I was very involved, but not through academics or through extracurriculars. I was just involved socially with people. Like I was making friends, I was going out and I was having a normal teenage life. And then sophomore year came around. And when the pandemic hit, um, I had to reprioritize my priorities. <laughs> I had to ask myself like, okay, what do I want? Like, I'm not really happy with the way my grades are looking right now. I think I could do so much better. And more importantly, I started seeing people on TikTok and other social media accounts um, stating like, oh, I got into this college and, you know, I have these essays that I have to fulfill. And I wanted to be prepared and prepared so that, you know, when the time came, I wouldn't be overwhelmed. And seeing those people online made me realize like, okay, maybe I can start early and I can kind of reprioritize my life. And so I started getting involved in my sophomore year of high school, which was a little bit difficult because we transitioned during that year to online school. But then um, junior year, having things completely virtual opened up a lot of avenues for me. I got involved with academic decathlon and I did pretty well. And then um, it was getting that, I guess, reward of doing well kind of fills you with dopamine and so you want to start doing more and more and more and so once I did good on one thing I was like okay maybe I can do good on another thing and so I started joining more clubs more activities I started getting better grades and I started writing better papers and it's also a self-perpetuating cycle because if you act positively and you live positively then you're more likely to see positive outcomes and I, I would like to say that it wasn't like plagued with hardships, but that's, you know, completely unrealistic because we were living in the middle of a pandemic. And so there are moments where my mental health would take a toll because I was just committing my life to college. And my goal was, okay, if I get an A on this, maybe I can improve my GPA and then colleges will want me and I can meet their threshold. Or if I open this, you know, maybe I can do something. Or if I join this club, it was just a bunch of thoughts in my head. And it was really hard for me to kind of, organize them but then I think senior year came around and I started you know kind of recognizing like there's so much more to life than trying to work hard just for one single goal in fact I think it's more important to have numerous goals because let's say you're unable to meet one sort of you know idealistic goal uh, it's okay because you have all of these other things that you're trying to fulfill so you won't necessarily beat yourself over it and so um to make a long story short 
Um, that transition throughout like the past four years has been really eye-opening because it showed me what it was like to live outside of tunnel vision. And then it showed me what it was also like to live inside tunnel vision. And both were equally just as bad because I believe you need to have a balance of both in order to kind of have some clarity throughout your life. Yeah, 100%. It's about striving for your goals, but also not being afraid to make mistakes and not being afraid to fail because these things will just naturally happen, right? There's no way someone lived their life perfectly without experiencing any sort of failure or any making any mistakes. Um, it's just natural. And I guess when you kind of admit those failures and learn from the mistakes you do as cliche as it is you do like kind of change your perspective of life and not only do you develop a more positive mindset but it's also mainly just you're not limiting yourself to like one certain path and rather it's more so appreciating the effort that you put into um, making that goal happen And even if it doesn't happen, you should be proud of yourself for making progress, you know, Um, instead of celebrating the achievements, sometimes it's about celebrating the progress and celebrating the Mm -hmm. journey you took to um, make a difference. Mm -hmm. And um, even if it's just little goals, like, I don't know, reading every day, you know, maybe you don't actually read every day but you did read more this year than you have last year. And so that's still something to celebrate. And when it comes to colleges, it's like, maybe you didn't get straight A's, but you did work really hard and develop better study habits. And right. you learned how to time manage. Time manage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And so like, just even small things like that make a big difference. And sometimes we might not see immediate goals, which can be really frustrating and overwhelming because everyone wants those like immediate rewards. So not having that can be really hard to process. But I think at the end of the day, it's just about focusing on what you've done and being proud of, once again, being proud of your progress. And since this, you know, the topic of this podcast is rejection, I think you know, as someone who has experienced rejection, I think it can be a really slippery slope. Because like you mentioned, when you get rejected, you begin asking yourself so many what if questions. And that was definitely the case for me, I started asking, what if it was my GPA? Or what if it was my essays? And one thing that I am definitely glad that I did before submitting my Questbridge application was guaranteeing that what I submitted, I was 100% satisfied with. And for many people, I know they can't say the same, but that was my one criteria. I told myself I would not apply to Questbridge unless I was completely satisfied with my essays. And um, my essays weren't proofread by anybody because like I mentioned, I had a week. And I think that could have been dangerous for me because I could have started asking myself questions like, what if I had someone read them? Or what if they weren't as good as I thought? But I don't actually think I didn't get matched because of a particular reason. I just think sometimes the circumstances are just unfavorable. And, you know, that was the case for me. And it would have been so much easier for me to have something to blame. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, I blamed, you know, maybe I made my family made too much or maybe we didn't qualify. And I think that's unfair to the people who did get matched because they didn't get in just because of just because this was, you know, a need based program. They got in because of their merit. And, you know, congratulations to you because I know how hard you have worked. And 
I think it's important because when you're not happy with what you've done, you can always find things to blame. And I'm just so glad that for me, that wasn't the case, aside from my initial, you know, kind of situation where I blamed the monetary aspect. But now looking back, I'm just so glad that I can say that I am proud of what I've done. And, you know, even though my essays didn't get me matched the first time around, they have gotten me into two really good colleges. So that was definitely a win. And it just show, it just proves to show you that like, sometimes things don't happen, but that's okay. And it's, so easy to say like oh rejection is natural like I definitely get that and you know I've been you know emphasizing that throughout this podcast I've been saying it's okay like it's a cycle that you have to break out of it but sometimes some people can't break out of it because that's what they're accustomed to and I guess the best thing that I could suggest is that if you only limit your scope to what you haven't yet accomplished you're always going to be miserable and I don't think that's a very fun way to live because if you if you're constantly miserable, you're never going to try new things. And if you don't try new things, you're never going to be able to, you know, try again and then see other outcomes and possibilities. So I think it's just very dangerous to kind of get stuck in your mind and to kind of chastise yourself and beat yourself down for something that you think you could have prevented when in reality, you really couldn't have. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's hard to get out of your comfort zone. And especially if you're like already a perfectionist or like a control freak, a very type A person in general. Oh my gosh. Speaking from personal experience, like controlling the uncontrollable is my dream. I think everyone wants to do that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so when we don't have that ability, it's like, oh my gosh. So what do I do now? And it can be really scary because when you don't know what's going to happen in the future, when your plan completely takes a turn, you're just like, okay, so I'm starting from scratch and it is a harsh reality to face. But I think once you take the first step, things will get a little bit easier. Obviously, it's not just going to be one like straight uphill path. There's going to be bumps along the road, but that's a journey to celebrate you know a journey to Mm -hmm. experience and there's going to be a lot of life lessons learned from that and you also can have a really good story to tell exactly (laughs) so just keeping very positive mindsets I think is definitely something that's helpful when dealing with rejection right and most importantly um rejection is not only going to be seen throughout the college application process people are going to experience it every single stage of their life whether it's you know applying for a job or asking someone out or you know inviting someone to go somewhere rejection is everywhere and when we as you know when we as humans and as a society accept the fact that rejection is here to stay then I think we'll be so much more happier with the progress that we have made rather than constantly asking ourselves these what if questions. So I think that's really important to emphasize. I do want to touch on one more topic, which is social media and how it can affect your experience dealing with rejection. So earlier we talked about like that Facebook group with other people um, sharing their rejection experience. There's also the other aspect of like seeing other people succeed and maybe getting the things you wanted, um, but didn't because of rejection. So um, how was your experience like seeing other people get matched, um, maybe even matched to Yale, your dream school? Mm-hmm. And how did that affect your mental health? So um, 
I was envious <laughs> to be quite blunt, but it wasn't envious in a malicious way. It was more of like a, oh, you know, I wish I was also experiencing that moment. Um, but seeing all those posts on, in or not Instagram, on Facebook, when people got their decisions back, it was like I mentioned a bittersweet moment because so many people got rejected or not rejected. They, they didn't get matched, I think is a better phrase. And so many people did get matched. And it was kind of like this balance, like every other post, every time I would swipe, it would be like rejected, accepted, rejected, accepted. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm really overwhelmed. Like, I don't know what the statistics are, how many people got in. And, you know, you kind of want to, your mind kind of wants to latch onto numbers because it's easy to comprehend, you know, to say, oh, you know this year was extra competitive and you just want something to kind of hold on to but seeing all those posts made my mental health deteriorate quite a bit because like I mentioned it was more of an envy where you kind of wanted to experience what other people were feeling but you couldn't um it wasn't more like a oh like they don't deserve it I I've never once thought that because all those people were highly qualified and everybody who gets into a college is highly qualified it was just more about the actual experience but um I know you, you know, specifically narrowed the question down to just the match, but a lot of people who didn't get matched also got in after the match into really good schools like Vanderbilt or, you know, Boston University through early decision two. And so for a while, that also kind of made me a little bit upset because it made me wonder, what if I applied to another college early decision two? And I actually went against that option because it was only a month difference, you know, when the decisions came out and I just wanted to see all my decisions rather than get confined to one school. But seeing those people get in early was still kind of like almost a slap to the face because I applied in September and most of these people were already committed and they had schools and I didn't have anything. And I just wanted a school to get into so that I could tell myself like, okay, I have some sort of plan for the future. My hard work paid off, but it was really hard for a while um, just kind of sitting there and watching all of these people get in. But um, when it was my turn to get in, um, that was really exciting because now I felt as if I was a part of these other people. But I also want to mention like that feeling that I mentioned earlier, the feeling that I was, you know, envious of. It wasn't as great as I thought it would be. I thought I would be like ecstatic and, you know, I'd be like so excited. But if anything, I actually felt a little more anxious and I felt, you know, like an imposter because now that I got into somewhere, it, you start asking yourself these questions like, did I rob it from someone? Does someone else deserve it more than me? And back to the topic of rejection, I started asking myself, like, I got rejected the first time and the second time. So what made these schools want me? And I think that's such a negative viewpoint and a negative way of thinking. But that's what rejection does to you. It does alter your thinking. And I think it's up to you to kind of fight against that mentality because it's really important to <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. It's wild what rejection can do to you. And right. you don't really, I mean, even people who deal with rejection, like, as if nothing has happened, you do see the effects of it still like in the future, even if you got accepted, or continuously rejected. Because like you said, once you're accepted, you're still like, um, is this a mistake? Like, yeah, am I really <laughs> supposed to be here? <laughs> right. It was like, did they accept me out of pity? Like, I'm not sure. Like, and you begin yeah. to ask yourself, like, the thing is, most of these schools accepted me based on the same essays that got me rejected. So I was like, huh, like, how come you rejected me this time, but you accepted me this time? And again, it's such a negative way of thinking because 
sometimes we just have to accept what is not what could be and it's like if you always ask yourself these questions like okay huh like I'm suspicious or I don't deserve this you're never going to be happy and it goes both ways you know if you're not rejected or if you're accepted as long as you have that self-doubt then you're just never going to be content with what you have and what you have accomplished so I think that's a very dangerous thing to be aware about right exactly And so before we end this episode, what is one final tip you would like to share with the listeners who might be dealing with college rejection right now? So I think the tip that most helped me was just talking to other people who have experienced it. And while you can talk to people who haven't experienced it, I think there's definitely a certain type of relationship that is formed when two people who have gotten rejected come together to discuss their you know, experiences, because you almost begin to empathize with each other. And I think if you just hold on to that empathy, it'll kind of humanize you and remind you that there are much greater things in life than rejection, and it's just a natural part. So talking always helps. And if you only, you know, keep it to yourself and kind of simmer with your thoughts, you're going to become bitter and resentful. And we don't want that because that's a very negative thing. So personally, for me, Um, Talking to other people has always helped me. And I definitely encourage other people who are experiencing rejection to do the same thing. And not just talk as in like surface level conversations, but like talk as in sit down and have these really insightful conversations where you ask yourself, like, does the rejection really matter that much? Or are there other options, you know? Right, exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much for having such a great conversation with me. So where can my listeners connect with you? So I actually run like a little Instagram account and it's um like a blog where I summarize current events and it's it's summarized, which is I-P-S-S-U-M-M-A-R-I-Z-E-D. So if you want to follow me there. <laughs> also be sure to follow Study Break on Instagram at the Study Break Podcast, as well as tuning into your favorite podcast app, follow Study Break there and listen to a new episode every Tuesday. Thank you all so much for listening and have a great day. Bye, everyone. Bye.